Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast. I'm Sarah, your host through this adventure about mindfulness, attention, focus, happiness, and motivation at a time when all of these things seem elusive and desired at the same time. So how do we cultivate them? Today in our first episode, I talk with Greg Kulowick, a director of technology with over 20 years of experience in education. One of Greg's passions is delivering innovative professional development, and he prides himself on bringing an engaging atmosphere to schools and districts that he works with. From keynote speeches to hands-on professional learning, Greg understands educators, the complexity of change in education, and the experience of people working to navigate that change. Greg and I use this opportunity to discuss the changes happening as we speak with the sudden influx of AI in everyday lives, and consequently, the flood of information available to us now as educators and parents. We ask, what is the delicate balance between sustaining effort on hard things and removing barriers that can be resolved with various AI tools? How does this impact the need for improved attention in the classroom? All this and more in my conversation with Greg. Have a listen. Where is the inspiration or passion that's kind of inspired what it is that you're doing today? Well, thanks, Sarah. This is super exciting to be in episode one. So <laughs> I was just, I was really fortunate to be around really great educators. There's one in particular that I have to mention her name, Nancy Dawson. She was just this fantastic educator that I worked with when I got started um, as a history teacher in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And she put me on the path of using technology and kind of really thinking about what new potential um, kids could achieve with technology. I'll never forget. She, I was telling her about a project one day and she's like, oh, you should use a web 2.0 tool. And I just nodded my head and went to my classroom and Googled web 2.0 tool. I had no <laughs> idea what she was talking about. And that began, began the use of like, I think we used voice thread in that instance to do some cool work around the French revolution. And then I did consulting for about 10 years after I was a history teacher and then the pandemic, like all things with everyone, just made me really reconsider what my next kind of path was going to be in education. And I was just given this amazing opportunity to join a district. I really wanted to get back into a public school district. And I'm super fortunate to have the role of um, director of technology in a, a district just north of Boston, Massachusetts. And with that, I also get to do a lot of professional learning on my own with schools that Fortunately, I get to talk about things like artificial intelligence now. So it's just been a slow progression and just always been interested in what new opportunities technology can provide for educators and for students. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to talking about um, the PD opportunities and work that you do at the end of this conversation. And I also just want to point out that something I think stands out about your career path that it seems to be a consistent is this real desire um, to always be working closely with the individual teachers themselves. Um, and I think that people who choose choose to do that stand out in in the tone of of the way they present themselves and their message. And I think that that's something, uh, and I don't know if our listeners are, um, if all of our listeners are, are diehard Twitter users as we are every day, but <laughs> if, if you do follow Greg on Twitter, um, you'll, you know, you can tell that tone of people that really are thinking of the everyday educator's best interest um, in in the PD work and messaging that they put out. So I think that that's something commendable. Um, so should we get into it? I think everyone's like waiting, yeah. waiting yes. for the uh, <laughs> they're going to talk about AI. Let's get into it. 
So we'll kind of transition a little bit into talking about what has become probably, uh, you, would you say you're one of your main talking points and um, I guess PD, PD opportunities that you're developing now, which yeah. is talking about what, what AI means for the educator. Um, maybe we want to start by talking about how how that kind of just burst onto the scene and uh, you know it's only been what maybe four months of of this kind of being the center of a lot of our work increasingly and not being able to keep up with it so maybe you want to start by talking about what that was like for that to suddenly be a thing and and what it's kind of meant for changes in the way you approach your work yeah like the pace of change has been extraordinary like think back you know over a decade ago when school started going one-to-one with you know whatever device they selected like you could opt out of that. Like a school could say, we're, we're not providing devices for students. And then you just bought yourself lots of time, right? This is so different because the pay, everything is changing so quickly. And I, I think I mentioned it the other day and um, I was chatting with someone of like the, the, the session that I might do on artificial intelligence and the connection to education that I did last week or the week before, it doesn't look the same if I'm leading it tomorrow. Like it has to right. change it's hard to keep up with. And I've always kind of sympathized with teachers when they're like, how do you, how do you, how am I possibly supposed to keep up with whatever fill in the blank educational technology? And I've always responded with like, you're not like, it's my full-time job and I can't. So how can we expect you to do that as well? And it becomes even more apparent with AI where it's like, no, you're not expected to keep up and know and understand everything. I was just writing some things before we got on. And it was, to me, the perspective is more like, be generally aware, understand what the landscape is, have kind of like um, not surface level or insignificant awareness, but just enough awareness to go, okay, I know what's going on. It can be scary and it can be overwhelming. It can be empowering at the same time. And I think it's too early to make decisions about this is how you navigate AI and education. To me, this is the time for what kind of questions do we want to ask in our department or in our with our leadership teams in a, in a district or with teachers in a PLC like it's not about answers right now at all i think it would be premature to jump to answers and even claim that we have them like there's creative ways that you can think about using the ai now with the you know the tools mm-hmm. that exist uh, generative ai tools but mm-hmm. if the, if things are going to change and continue to change likely faster than they have been over the past four months. Any answers that we come up with now or definitive responses, like those will those are just outdate themselves and it will make it harder for us to be adaptive to how things are going to change. Yeah, and I do I think exactly what you're you're referring to is um part of what I, I tweeted for, of yours the other day or I retweeted from your newsletter was that that message which really struck me as the exact message that not just teachers but all of us um, in different professions or just navigating our own lives, um, you know, with this new technology that we need to approach it with, because even the people closest to this stuff um, are shocked by it. So so who am I and who are you and who is anyone in any school building anywhere? Um, You know, you can't fight it and you also um, can't really change the way it's going to change you but you can change the way you approach it and just kind of know and ask. I love the way you said ask questions too. And, and, um, and something about the way you just described that, the not worrying too much about what the end result is, but the process of, 
of you know what's in the middle what can we do as as this goes on to kind of just you know grow along with it um because it is moving so fast but it might be something this might be the thing that helps teach us how to not feel like we are have to be so responsible for every thing i mean i think of i i taught for 14 years and i mean when you this is like a feeling that i just remember so much of every little new thing that was introduced feeling like you know next week i have to know it so well um better than anybody and and that that feeling never goes away and it's just not necessary and i do feel like a lot of teachers deal with that perfectionism of like I need if I'm going to be responsible for my kids doing this I have to know everything about it and I feel like that's that does get to be unhealthy yeah and I think too like every I remember doing an exercise maybe in my second or third year of like personality types in north south east or west and I I the the tool that we use I remember being a north where if I'm presented with a new idea I won't ask questions implications won't have to understand it like i'll i'll do it tomorrow like i'll use that thing tomorrow in my practice whereas a different personality type you know if you, if you subscribe to that way of thinking they may go well, well wait a minute i don't i don't either i don't understand it or i haven't had time to think about it or ask questions or plan for it but again it's so hard though because it's things are changing so quickly um but i don't want i wouldn't i would it would be problematic if anybody thought they had to start to adopt and and use these technologies right away i think yeah. it's interesting though it's it, we're in a little bit of a different space where i think um now more than ever like i've said for years it's more important to know when if you're one-to-one -one, it's more important to know when not to use it than when to use it like being intentional about we can flip the ipad over or close the chromebook right now because what we're doing has nothing to do with an ipad or a chromebook or whatever in some ways it's it's exacerbated now of like knowing when it's time not to use that so i was talking through an idea with a, an educator of like well but think about what the the whole what the whole workflow could look like you know kids are working on a chromebook and we have the capacity to lock down their browser and say i'm going to limit you to a google doc and a website to do some research and you're going to write your draft today separate from ai tools but then it might also be i foolish is too strong of a word you might be missing an opportunity on the next day if we don't teach the student how to take their own writing that they've already crafted and drop it into an AI tool to get feedback, to have it explain what their tone is, to look for ways to improve it, to go, oh, you know what? I left out these three ideas. Uh -huh. See what it looks like when you ask the tool to weave those three new vocabulary words into the writing that you already crafted. And then it becomes like a personal assistant and why would we not want students to have access to like a personal on-demand tutor? Yeah. It, you know, so, but these are really complicated ideas too, because I was just writing back to a teacher about if a student writes a piece of work that's really personal and it might be about loss that they've experienced and the, and the teacher might drop that into an AI tool and it gives them very descriptive feedback, but the AI tool doesn't think to ask them like, are you okay? You know, so in that way, like it's not perfect and we shouldn't rely on it for everything, but we should start to have discussions and ask questions around what might it be good for? How might we use it to improve a student experience or make them more independent learners and those sorts of questions? Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm thinking now about, um, you know, a few things that you were just saying and and 
part of what we wanted this conversation to really help people think about was this idea of where does, you know, how do we start to think about effort and human effort and um, approaching things that are really challenging or right. things that make us feel like we're struggling. And I think some of the approach or, or um, ideas that are floating around out there that I see are, and and they're not, these are not necessarily wrong because I understand where they come from, but there is this, I think, instinct to jump and say, well, you know how you have those 10 kids that struggle with X, Y, Z? Well, now they don't have to struggle anymore. And I don't know that that's the best way to think about how to use AI to not struggle. Right. Um, and I, that's why I like some of the language you use around approaching approaching that balance. So um, yeah. wh why don't you talk to us about a little bit about how you're thinking about that balance between sustained effort on hard things versus removing those barriers. Um, yeah, let's do that. So like any yeah. fantastic podcast host, Sarah and I had a pre-discussion to, to <laughs> kind of frame some of these these ideas, right? So Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking that discussion. So um, immense value in persisting through challenging hard work. And when there's too many barriers in place, and I like to think of it in a classroom setting around what are we actually assessing and what are arbitrary barriers that we're putting in the way of students because of previous practice or because of a belief system or an assignment that was handed down to us that we go, oh, that's what we're going to do to assess their understanding around whatever unit. Mm -hmm. uh, so in terms of the hard work part, like I related to the idea of doing really challenging monotonous physical work to improve your ability in like an athletic environment so i was a basketball player and i would work for hours tirelessly on fundamental skills so i can make layups with both hands and dribble with both hands and you know try to remove as many limitations in my game as possible unfortunately i wasn't as great as an academic yeah. student as i was for, you know, pursuing those athletic challenges. Mm -hmm. But the idea of persisting through challenging things, like I was watching a video by Neil deGrasse Tyson the other day, and he was like, the purpose of doing math is not because everyone's going to be a mathematician. It's because there's value in doing hard work and forcing your brain to create new pathways to think about yeah. problems that you're dealing with. And if we always avoid the new challenging pathway, then maybe we're not reaching like potential our full, full potential or uh, just kind of like growing. And even part of it is like the confidence to go, whoa, I did that. Like I couldn't do that before. And look what I achieved on my own. There's some right. confidence in that. It, but then I like to balance that with students who genuinely like really struggle on tasks that are put in front of them in a classroom and the task that's been designed has nothing to do with what's being assessed. Mm -hmm. And then I think at that instance, why are we not allowing students to use tools to remove barriers to task completion that's getting in the way of them showing what they understand? So an illustration of this would be like, as a history teacher, I remember vividly asking my students to create children's storybooks about the French Revolution, right? I mean, I'm sure there's variations of this kind of task that teachers might ask their kids to do. I'm absolutely not assessing the quality of their artwork. I'm assessing the the way that they can take a complex story, rewrite the story and convey it with like nuance and 
like meaning, but in two or three sentences per page, right? Mm -hmm. If I force them to hand draw these pictures, that's an arbitrary barrier that I'm creating. And if I grade their work based on the quality of, if I grade their final product based on the quality of the artwork, like that's an invalid assessment. So why would I not allow a student to go to Dolly 2 or Midjourney or Canva's text-to-image tool and like do a text-to-image AI prompt and get the exact image they want that they can see in their head? And I've taught them some of the skill on how to write the prompts to get the image that they want. And now they can have the artwork and that barrier is removed and they can focus on what the actual purpose of the assessment is or the, or the task or the assignment. But that's a really kind of like delicate balance. I wanted to, there was a couple of points I was going to jump in, but it does, I think this applies to everything, but the, you know, we really have to think about the role that effort plays in motivation, right? Like it, there's, you know, in motivation, in like cognitive control, in our like decision-making, uh, the effort that we put into something directly. And then when we feel, we feel the result. um, or we're motivated by what it feels like to to do to do something that's hard that winds up being good or winds up leading to the next thing that's good. Um, it's what we talk about when we talk about focus and flow um, that we've been talking about for over a yeah. year now. This idea that you have to you have to go through some sort of you don't just sit down and and get into a state of super focused, exciting work. Like no matter what you're doing, you have to go through some sort of struggle to get to that point where you accept that you're doing something challenging that you do have to kind of put an effort into. And then eventually, if the effort matches your skill level in just the right way, you can reach a state of flow where you're enjoying that and you're motivated to keep going. And I think it has a lot to do with that. Um, And now we just have to think about that a little bit more now as we as we deal with having so much at our fingertips that threaten to take that away. I was thinking about this the other day though, right? So I was reflecting back on my college experience and my humanities courses and reading things like um, uh, Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes and like mm-hmm. these really yeah. dense pieces, right? So the amount of hours I'd have to spend reading it and then preparing for seminar to be able to ask good questions and engage in discussion. And I was like, okay, if I had, if I had chat GPT then, and I would, I could ask it if I knew how to write a good prompt to write a really thorough summary with pulling four excerpted quotes out and everything I want. And I could read that one page breakdown of Leviathan, mm-hmm. be well rested, feel <laughs> good about walking into class and go in and I might be able to engage and be more fully present with a face-to-face conversation Yeah, because I, I have five meaningful points that I'm prepared to talk about and like what's lost there. Like I didn't read Leviathan. It's not good or bad. Like, it just is. Yeah, I might think similarly about um, my experience. I mean, I have two degrees in English literature, so I'm, I might think similarly about my experiences and having to read, like, every Dickens novel in one semester. I took one class that was literally just all Dickens, and we were assigned seven novels, and that's just not fun. It's not fun to read seven Dickens novels. Mm. And you have to make those decisions. And I that's reminding me of that where I would feel bad that I'm not reading. I'm like, I can't read these whole books, but I'm an English major and I should. Yeah. But I'm like, but they weren't really meant to be sat and read by someone in this age. Like, they're really not meant for me to sit and read them. Um, yeah. And and so I, I like thinking about it in that way. But 
I also did want to um, touch on this idea that we, you know, how does how does all of this stuff we're talking about regarding how we approach effort, how does it impact the need for improved attention in the classroom? Um, and how and then related to that, like how it can force us to rethink assessment in that way. Yeah, I mean, the I mean, we've been talking about this. I've been so lucky to be able to just be connected with your team and focus of all and you and Brian and Arlen and Allie. And I'm becoming more keenly aware in, in discussing with all of you, your, your work at Focusable, like how relevant focus is now and the, maybe the, the most distracting thing that exists, technology <laughs> fueled by artificial intelligence yeah, and how it becomes even more important. And I think it even goes back to when schools make decisions to put devices in students' hands, they're implying that they want things to look different. Do uh-huh. they change? Not necessarily. But you're implying that you want to change. You might do the same thing more efficiently now. That's not really change at all. You're just like, oh, we're we're digital. We're more organized. Wow. You know, but that nothing's changing. But what changed was the students' experience. Like, you're throwing the wealth of knowledge of the world in front of them, good or bad, and every potential distraction is right in front of them. And you often put teachers in a position where they didn't know how, not to their fault at all. No one goes through a teacher prep program with being taught how to teach in a one-to-one environment. At least the teachers that are currently in the classroom, they didn't experience that. And you can joke around and say things like I remember many years ago, Carl Hooker, um, he made a joke about like, if you want to manage a one-to-one classroom, get the two foot app and the two eyes app. Like it's a little Uh bit cynical, like walk around the room, look at their screen, but it's also hard to do that when you're in the context of teaching in a class. So we didn't, we didn't equip teachers with how to help kids focus. We didn't help students with how to stay focused in this constantly, this constant world of like inundated with distraction and temptation to open the tab and play the game or watch the video or like, I find myself doing it all. Yeah. It's so much to manage. And it, 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 I, it's probably going to become more important to be able to know how to walk away from those distractions or how to work within those distractions mm-hmm. more than ever. Like sit down in a meeting with any other group of adults and watch their behavior and they're yes. checking their phone and checking their email and going on social media. Like we do it more than anyone else. So mm-hmm. students are doing the same thing. And we wrote, I wrote something back in, December um, about that exact behavior, that kind of behavior in adults. And I think when we talk about even just say the phrase social media, even, you know, AI aside, like just social media in general, people think you're going to jump into a discussion about kids and teenagers. But if you step back and, and think about the adult, the adults using those things, it really does start with us. Um, and right. kids watch the way their parents do everything. And, and, you know, I don't know that we can really get so angry about the generation that has generations now that have grown up attached no. to these things because, you know, we've created this environment, um, even within our individual homes, they're living in, in, in crazily hyper-connected, um, where we're all individually connected to our own individual bubbles, um, which is kind of scary. Really, if you think about it that way, if if you have five people in one household and adults and children alike each have their own bubble of influence around them. This conversation is so great because it's making me recall 
other things along the way. And one of them was many years ago reading The Shallows. It was mm-hmm. the book is like, what is the internet doing to our brains? It's like we threw these things in, in classrooms for good reason, hoping that it would create change. And I think sometimes the research points to like it maybe isn't creating much change at all. Yeah. Um, and and I also to even go back to that the doing hard things part of it. Like in some ways we may we may be lucky, right? So we we got to go through school without having these distractions at all and now we get to talk about these distractions right so i i would i would be really worried to think about what type of student i would have been if i had all these distractions i know it's something i've thought about forever too like ever since uh, you know the first kids came into school with a phone even even a flip phone like i can't imagine having having needed to carry that um (laughs) i still don't know but but these are the things that we sometimes I wonder if we think too much about them. But then yeah. then AI, then something like AI bursts onto the screen. and It's like, oh, we actually didn't think enough. Yeah. And I think, too, that like um, another point to this is it's not just removing barriers and creating new opportunity there. I think there's a third part to this. And it's maybe an expectation that people will become either even like more efficient, more productive or more capable like mm-hmm. there was a Harvard EdCast episode with Chris Didi where he was talking about the idea of like upskilling with AI, not being yeah. outskilled and having your job taken, but upskilling. I was like, oh my gosh, what a great way to think about this. But yeah, then definitely. as soon as I can upskill myself with AI, now I'm expected to be able to do more. And yes. like, how is that going <laughs> to impact my ability to focus, my mental health, my need to step away and go like, while I can do that with the assistance of an AI tool, and I think they're in their infancy. Like, it's pretty safe to say they're all in their infancy right now. Yeah. I would hate to see what the expectations are like, what the turnaround time, the workload is going to be like. And then even to think even more, it can be a little bit more problematic, too, of like, if everyone is using these tools, then we're evaluating each other's work, but it's not even your work that I'm evaluating, yeah. or That's I'm going to have the AI that. work that you generated be, be evaluated by the AI tool that I have. And w- like we're the middlemen and the AI is doing the work on the outside. That to me is so scary. Yeah. I worry about that too. Like what are the expectations on the capacity of everyone? And are we going to leave room for kids to be where they are now and slowly improve over time and show growth over time as opposed to, well, you have the AI tool in front of you. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do really well with that task right now. I'll Mm -hmm. teach you how to write a prompt drop it in there and then spit out something that is way better than what you could have con- created on your own. So just the other day, I w- it was funny. I had to help a teacher um, get a YouTube video unblocked for a sixth grader, right? So she was she's reading um, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. I've never read that book before. So I got the video unblocked for her. Like I saved the day as the tech director, like major accomplishment <laughs> of the afternoon. And I jokingly said to her, I was like, hey, I've never read that book. Would you mind writing me a one paragraph summary of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief? And I walked out of the room, like, kind of thinking, like, there's no way a sixth grader is going to do that. <laughs> Came across the hall a few minutes later, and handed me a piece of paper with the summary. And then she, she goes, open up the paper. And I opened it, and it was a summary of chapter 22. That's mm-hmm. the one she was listening to on the YouTube video. It was like an audio read aloud for chapter 22. I was like, hey, have you ever seen text generative AI tools? She's like, no, what are you talking about? And I've never <laughs> met her before. 
Yeah. We sat down and I sh- I went to, I think it was Chad Sonic or whatever tool. Chad GPT was bogged down at the time. So I wrote a prompt in, it returned, and we watched it kind of generate. generate and she yeah. was in shock. She was like, what <laughs> is this? And I was like, I haven't read the book. Read the paragraph. She read it. I was like, what do you think? She's like, whoa, that's really good. We read the second yeah. paragraph, summarized chapter 22. I was like, is it accurate? Are the characters being described the way? She's like, oh my gosh, that's really good. So I shut the lid on my Chromebook and walked out of the room. She was like, hold on a second. What website was that? It's like, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> so one is that students don't know. Right. Students don't necessarily know that these things exist. We might believe that they know because my bubble of social media is like 90% AI right now. It went from like <laughs> the AI overnight. Yep. So we, we think they know, they don't necessarily know. If they know, it could be the same way, like that unfortunate language of like digital native, digital immigrant, where yes. like, sure, these kids grow up with these things, but it doesn't mean they know how to use them at all. They know how to no. use in the capacity that they're comfortable using it, but not yes. in the way that might be really skillful, right? Mm-hmm. The same way, like if they come across AI tools, maybe it's like they type the exact prompt their teacher gave them and they get a hallucinogenic garbage response and they might to turn that in without awareness of what it can really do and one more idea i promise i'll stop talking is this like innocence i remember one of my best professors ever father jude gray at saint anselm college he talked about the idea of once innocence is lost you can never get it back Mm -hmm. so and it could be an extreme perspective, but if if students lose that innocence of not knowing or not being exposed to these tools, as soon as they know it's there, that's that attention part of thing and focus, it's going to be really hard to get them back away from it. Yes. And there could be also part of it where it becomes so ingrained into their school life where they push away from it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I would yeah. rather just write it myself. This is hard. How do I get yeah. this to do, you know, how do I get it to not like we are like you were just saying, like, it, you know, if they know about it, they just they, they know very little. They don't really know how to use it or manipulate it um, to, to their advantage. Uh, and I, I could see that being a thing, too, once they start to be taught how to utilize it for them to be like, well, can I just write the essay? Yeah, like, that's also a very common response to to things like that, I think. I find myself all the time as I'm writing more thorough prompts, I think like, geez, I know this. Why did I, why Why did I write this this? two paragraph prompt when I could have just written the idea? Yeah. And that's, that, that has to do with like, I mean, if you think about it, that's going to be part of focus as well, because you get pulled away from what is, you know, what am I paying attention to? What is really the purpose here? And I think that that's something that is going to go, it's just going to keep shifting and changing and conversations like this one. And um, and and ones like you are leading in the greater, you know, atmosphere of social media and through your through your PD work and everything. I think those conversations are are what people should be following because they I mean, this is where you're going to get the most, you know, up, up to date thoughts. It's not even information. We, we want to know what people are thinking yeah. and how they're using it and what they're hearing from students or seeing students produce or react to. And I think. I think those that's what we need to really be paying attention to um, because we're not going to be able to stop it, as you said earlier. Um, So I I think we're we're coming up to the end of our discussion here. But I did want to ask you a couple of a couple kind of casual questions to get people to, to know you a little bit and to 
give us some insight into maybe I love I love one of the things that I love I've always loved is making I'm big on connections within like a person like so you just talked for this whole episode really about um, AI and about effort and how do we you know how do we make sure that we're not taking challenge away from our students and all the things that have to do with that but then I love the idea of just asking you a few a few recommendations of things that <laughs> are going on or in your mind, even if they're not even if they're recent and not exactly current, but things that you've been listening to or reading. And then I, I always even if it's not obvious, I find that thinking about connections between someone's current work and like what it what it is that they're exposing themselves to is always fun to me. Yeah. Um, not that I'm going to assess you on there, but I, I'm just putting that out there to everyone listening that when I ask people questions like this, that's in my mind, that's the impetus is that I'm always looking for the layers of a person or a situation or a conversation like, um, you know, what makes up this whole experience or this being. So I I wanted to ask you, me, and you could talk about all three of these or just mention one, but um, I think you're prepared to, to mention all, all three, but something you're reading now or recently, something you're watching, and something you're listening to. These are so fantastic. Reading. <laughs> uh, I love sneakers, so I was actually pointed to Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight, the creator of Nike. It's his memoir, which is, it's an interesting, it's like a business motivation aspirational book so it's really interesting and i think now that there's a movie coming out that's basically um it's matt damon and ben affleck's movie which i think is kind of oh, origin yeah. and shoot dog so the book yep. is great uh i'm slowly working my way through think like a monk like jay shetty by jay shetty and that think again by adam grant so maybe the theme is there um, theme of thinking is persistent yeah, now you're making the connections too <laughs> gotta bring it all uh, yeah the, the needle the, yeah exactly the watching um, I was eagerly awaiting Succession to come out with its final season on HBO. So, um, but I find myself watching an episode and then having to watch it again because the dialogue is just so wildly. I've heard fast. that. I don't. I haven't watched it, but I've heard that from other people too. Yeah. Oh my god, it's just fantastic dialogue and amazing character development and acting in there. Um, the listening, I have to thank my wife and my kids, my wife Emily and my um, son and daughter. Um, Avery and Harper because they I used to be a DJ many many ages ago um wow yeah so there's a nice connection I don't know how that fits excellent. in but it used to have Technics 1200s and crates and crates of records this was pre-children and just a different part of my life so hmm. for my birthday my wife and my kids got me a turntable and got me a bunch of records that they know I love Mm -hmm. um, so what I've been listening to lately is Midnight Marauders, which is one of Tribe Hall's Cold Quest's like seminal albums. That was like my 16-year-old Greg album. Mm -hmm. uh, Harry's House by Harry Styles, which I think is just amazing. Yeah, definitely. Then, this might catch the listeners or you off guard. Renaissance, Beyonce's like disco-ish oh, double cool. LP it's amazing and the whole thing plays straight through so as like a former dj i really appreciate the songs just mixed together seamlessly which is just amazing to listen to on vinyl um so there we go want me to keep going well i was just gonna say like if, I, if we're thinking about threads and connections i mean that at the beginning of this episode when i was introducing you i talked about um your commitment to thinking about complexity and i think that that if we were to name a word to to talk about or to to label if we wanted to something that runs through all of your recommendations there's a complexity to the way 
you're compiling the things that you put into your brain, I think. Um, it's oh, not like single tracked. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, like <laughs> and I wanted to end with just a question um, about about focus. How can we not end with focus, right? So if yeah. you were to, um, I guess, recommend or um, just kind of give people one last insight into the way you think, what is one method that you use to focus or to help yourself kind of train to focus that you think is wor is working for you? Um, so I've, I've started adopting fun, like the, the breathing techniques and focusable have reminded me to be more aware of my breathing. So okay. I've tried to adopt breathing as a way to like slow myself down because I, if I start getting wound up, then I find it hard to settle down and kind of focus on something. So I've been trying to do that. And the other ones, it's a two part one. I like, like, because of the connection to music and it's had a really important part kind of role in my life. I like forcing myself to play an album the entire way through without yes. skipping or having a playlist. And like, just there are certain albums that I can work the entire way through and I know if I can do it's 45 minutes or 55 minutes of work straight through on whatever I'm working on. And then certain albums have like a nice pace and a flow and like an up and down. Like there's really good storytelling yeah. going on in there. And it's it starts, you might be energetic in the beginning, and then it slows down and gets a little more reflective and it picks up at the end. So like I, I love that. I always put on um, um, uh, uh, Into the Wild. Like, I love that soundtrack and it's all Pearl Jam, but yeah, there's a, something about that album that f helps me just kind of like slow down and settle in and focus and work on things. I was so excited when I saw that you put that in your answer. Oh, now everyone knows I knew your answers beforehand, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But I, when I saw that, I was like, I'm not going to mention that uh, I'm excited until you say that, but that I totally agree with your assessment of that. I wish I could work with music with words in the background um which i really can't yeah. anymore maybe like years ago i used to but now that i think about it i probably was not focused i was just <laughs> i was just just wanted the music on in the background but that album is an exception um exactly yeah, a... what you're saying it does have this tone and it, it that is like the soundtrack to a very specific time in my life so when i see that i think of anytime i hear a note from that album yeah. it's like complete emotional um it's like the body shuts into a different mode <laughs> that's how i feel <laughs> um but excellent i'm i'm so glad that we uh i'm so glad i decided to just throw those questions at you because those were <laughs> those were uh some really good ties in i think to some of your other the way some of the other things that you're thinking about um yeah. at least i i'm I'm the way I approach looking at conversations like this. That's how I'm seeing it. But um, so let's let before we wrap up, let's just let everyone know where they can find you on any platform you want to share. And if you want to give anyone information about how they can sign up for, yeah. you know, for your newsletter or the work that you're doing and yeah, anything definitely. that you mention uh, here, we'll put in the show notes so people can access it. Great. If you so if you want to see what I'm up to, you can on social media. It's just at Greg Kulowick on Twitter and Instagram, and obviously different type of things tend to go to different platforms, but mm -hmm. mostly on Twitter at Greg Kulowick. Yeah. Um, if you want to see what I'm up to in terms of the professional learning, it's thekulowickgroup.com. Um, always kind of 
sharing where I'm headed off to next, the kinds of things that I'm working on. Um, and then I have some summer stuff going on, it, of course, doing kind of some work around the use of AI and education. Um, the, the newsletter though, I'm particularly happy with because it was a kind of tag team effort between my wife, Emily and I, and she came up with the name of it, the starting five. That's the origin of like playing basketball and having a starting five. But if you head to the com, you can sign up to get the starting five. It's five ideas sent to your inbox on Monday morning or Monday afternoon. If I don't do some good planning um, <laughs> and it's just five quick ideas, articles, resources, um, technology related tools, thoughts to consider just to kind of get your week started off. So I think that can be really helpful for folks. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, uh, and I know you didn't know this beforehand, but for being our brave first guest <laughs> um, and for dealing with whatever level of organization or disorganization I brought to that experience of uh, being that it is the first episode. But thank you so much for your time tonight, Greg. And um, we will we'll, we'll also have everything that has been talked about today, um, including all the resources Greg just mentioned, will be in our show notes, like I said before. And um, I'm pretty sure, you know, Greg will have this episode available to his audiences as well when it goes up. Indeed. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that's a wrap on episode one, everyone. Thanks so much for being here with us. Talking to Greg was a real joy and always is, and I hope you gained something valuable from this conversation. I'll probably start to sound repetitive on this front, but your feedback is always needed and welcomed. You can leave a comment on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela 9 you can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist podcast is brought to you by Focusable, the only app that gives you the pulse you need for better attention. And it's free. Create an account today at getfocusable.com or by downloading Focusable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Focusable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to the Optimalist podcast, and I'll see you next week.